Welcome to the Envision Broadcasting, the station designed to encourage, equip, and empower you for growth and success. Presents Dear Queens of Tomorrow, a show that shares the stories behind teenage girls who inspire, empower, and lead others. The Dear Queens of Tomorrow with the girls from Girl Power Up Youth Group begins now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. We have a special guest today. Her name is Whitney um, Barkley, and she wrote a children's book that we are excited to have you guys hear about. My name is Dr. Tracy Hines Lashley. I am the founder and the CEO of Boston Leaders Incorporated, and I have the host of Dear Queens of Tomorrow on the show who will be moderating this. And we have the CFO, Tiffany Myers, on here as well. Girls? Hi, everybody. My name is Deja. Hi, I'm Heaven. And we're the girls <laughs> from Dear Queens of Tomorrow that she was mentioning. I know you already know us. It's great. It's beautiful. But and we have Miss Heavenly Angel. Hello. <laughs> and we are excited to have you on here, Miss Whitney. Hey, everybody. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Whitney, I met her. Um, she was the actual person who did the podcast for um, Becoming a Shiro. So I, when I saw your book, I was like, oh my goodness, I have to have her. So we're we flipping this this time. <laughs> I know, it's so different being on the other side of the microphone. <laughs> I was like, I have to have her on this show. And we are in Black History Month. And you know, you're talking about girls that look like us and you know my granddaughter's sitting here say hi mira hi <laughs> you know she's six years old and it's like wow and when you talked about the kinky hair and the the thighs and the hips and i'm like oh yeah i have to have her on here for black history month so wow. tell us a little bit about it well i wrote hey black girl um it's really just a declaration for black girls to affirm themselves right now um, as you mentioned, there's so many different layers of being a black girl. We have colorism. We have problems with our hair. We have the whole Black Lives Matters movement right now. We have the problem of, you know, looking into professional positions and not seeing women who look like us. You know, we're still in that state of first. You know, we're still having the first of something. So I think it's really important for young girls to tap in who they are. So when they do become grownups and when they do take on the world, they feel fully confident. Wow, yes. Tell us a little bit about your background before the girls start um, interviewing you because I <laughs> want to hear it. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, how far how far do you want me to go back? <laughs> First of all, how you got into media? Because when I saw your um, that little clip you did, you were just like so, you know, you just like over the top with it. I'm like, oh my goodness, I know you're in media and marketing and you do this whole podcast thing. So, well, yeah. my journey started when I was a kid. I was like, I either want to be a teacher or a journalist. So fortunately, I've had the opportunity to do both. I've taught at the university level and I've also been operated in media. Like when I graduated from college, my first job out of college was a digital content producer for a television station. So I hated the news, but I love social media. So that was a skill that I learned how to cultivate over time. Um, 
worked as a director of marketing, worked as a career coach. Like I've done so many different things, but it all led me to start my own company. So I own a company called Speakerazi and I create content for people. So I love to bring out people's best selves. So I think everyone is an expert. I think everyone has a message. Everyone has a story. And so really it's my job to make sure that people can understand and see those stories so they can feel them and ultimately have a call to action. So um, media has always been a part of my life. It's literally embedded in every single thing that I do. And I just don't know what I would do without it. <laughs> wow. Amazing. So girls, do y'all want to, y'all have any questions for her? Yeah, actually, actually I, I do. Like I am also starting a podcast and I'm trying to grow out there in social media like you are doing. And like, it's very slow for like a starter and you see like slow, you see get, you get like one view, maybe 10 and it's like a slow process. Did you ever get discouraged? Like how did you keep going? Wow. So when I started my podcast, my podcast is actually a continuation of a blog that I started in 2014. I started a blog called the skinny black girls code. Now that, that was a slow process. You know, you start something, you write all these articles and you're like, okay, is anyone going to read? But over time, people started to gain, I started to gain exposure from people on the blog. So I had guest writers, people would write me to feature them. And so my audience began to grow. The key to that was being consistent. And so the, the blogging actually transcended into the podcasting. So I had an audience to launch to when I started my podcast. But to your point, when you start a podcast, it is very slow to launch. If you don't already have an audience that's built up, it is very hard to essentially get your voice out there. But I would say don't be discouraged. I think consistency is the key because what a lot of people don't realize is your podcast social media audience is different from your actual podcast audience. There are literally people who listen to podcasts like they're not going to look for you on social media. They're literally on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, trying to find something new. Those are different than the people on social media. So I would encourage you to not always look at social media as a way to kind of build that audience, but to know that there are people who are looking for you. And one of the best ways to build a podcast is to be on other podcasts, right? So when you bring in other guests and then you guys can cross promote and collaborate because you're able to get in front of their audiences. So um, that would be my advice for growing a podcast. And then also think about things outside of the box. Many people say, hey, listen to my podcast or listen to this episode, but they don't really give any context to the episode. So put yourself in a position to how you can market it in a different way. Maybe you're showing behind the scenes. Maybe you're creating audiograms where the words of the podcast pop up. Find other ways to promote it to make it stand out. And I guarantee that's one of the ways that you can quickly build an audience. Thank you. Okay, so I have a question. So we know you have a book out and what was your inspiration behind the book that you created? Okay. Well, the book is called Hey Black Girl. And I created Hey Black Girl last year because um, it really was a time and period in 2020. I mean, 2020 was a crazy year for everybody, right? Like everyone was going through something and it was just a, a year of change for a lot of us. So for me, um, and at the beginning of 2020, I felt like I was very successful in my career. I was married. And then the pandemic happened and then everything changed. You know, I, I had to get a divorce. Um, my business changed in different ways. And it brought me to a place where I felt like 
I wasn't confident. Like I no longer felt good about what I was doing. I didn't feel good enough anymore. Um, you know, it, everything that had happened had really lowered my self-esteem and it put me in a place of when I was a little girl, because when I was a little girl, I, I lacked a lot of confidence on the inside. Like on the outside, you would think that I was okay. But on the inside, I really have a lot of problems towards myself. I didn't love myself the way that I should. So, you know, when it started to remind me of how I was when I was a little girl, I started to just think about um, how the younger me would be disappointed in the older me because I was always I always told myself that when I got older, things would get better. And I felt like things were still in the same cycle. So one day when I was out, I was actually at a work conference and at 7 a.m. The words, hey, black girl came to me and I started to think about all of the messages that the world had told me and all of the things that I wanted to tell the world back. And so somehow I just started to put that into a book and then somehow I got into Canva, started messing around with stuff and it started to create you know, just the graphics. And then I had a book. So it was really just a process of rediscovering myself. I think writing this book literally saved me from a depression in 2020. So that was my inspiration behind it. Because I don't want any young girl to grow up to go through the things that I went through at 29 and 30. I want them to grow up to be confident and to know that they matter and that they're enough. And with the, you want them to feel like they matter and they're enough. Do you feel like Right now in this society, since there are a lot of people and it is Black History Month, do you think people only praise the black woman or a black girl just because it's a cliche or it's a quote unquote trend? That's a really great question. Do people praise black girls because it's cliche or it's a trend? I really feel like right now we are experiencing a renaissance of black excellence. I think at one time, African-Americans or black people they really took pride in themselves and somewhere down the line like you know things just started to shift but i see so much of a different shift now i think people are now learning to embrace who they are it may be trendy to embrace black girls but at the end of the day i would love i would rather it be a trend because i think it's very important for young girls to know who exactly they are and to see women like them and to see women doing great things, to see, you know, the Kamala Harris's of the world, the Michelle Obama's, to see women in position to do things and who are embracing their true selves. I went to a um, an HBCU when I was in college. I went to Wilberforce University. And one of the things that I learned is that black people are not monolithic. We're not all the same. And the beauty about black women is that, you know, there's so many different dimensions of us. You know, some of us, you know, are classy some of us are ratchet you know just depends on who we are and like i think it's a huge melting pot and a huge opportunity for the world to see who we are so um to answer your question for some people yeah it might be a trend and a bandwagon to praise black girls but i think for most people we're really stepping into who we are and we're unapologetic about it thank you because right now i feel like since like TikTok and everybody there's a lot of people on a social media platform that know they have a higher platform that's like, okay, it's Black History Month, now let me cater to this one specific group so I can get them to along with me. So. Yeah, and yeah. Now, yeah. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I was gonna just add on to what Daisha was saying. Now it's become a trend to actually bash black women on TikTok, but it's, it's just become a trend and I'm just looking at it like this isn't right. It's not right. I mean, and to your point, you will see a lot of people jump on the bandwagon. And as someone who works in a marketing 
um, in, in the marketing industry, you see that a lot. I actually had a discussion um, with some women a couple of weeks ago about cancel culture and, you know, how people just kind of jump on. Like, you want to support people by being authentic. I think the biggest thing right now is if companies or people are looking to support black people, black lives, you have to look at the intention behind your support. Are you supporting because you want clout or are you supporting because this is something that you genuinely genuinely believe in? You genuinely believe in black people. You genuinely want to see us to be empowered. I think that's when you see kind of a fine line between when people are being real and when they're doing things just to make money. Now, in terms of people, you know, bashing black women on TikTok, that's been going on forever. It's just a different platform at this point, you know, and that's why it's important to have books like Hey Black Girl. So at the end of the day, if someone's bashing you online, you know, and you can stand in who you are, because at the end of the day, someone else's opinion of me is not my business. Well, with that part, did you think that your target audience, well, did you want your target audience to be mainly young black females or black females of any age, any color type. And I know some people do have a condition and people are like, oh, you're not black because you're white on the outside, but their genetics and how they are, they're actually black. So with that, how do you think your book would reach out to those people as well, or just like the collective group of the people we're talking about now? I think this book is great for any young girl who identifies as part of us as a part of the diaspora. So, you know, I think this applies to African women, African American girls. I have two nieces who are biracial, they're Puerto Rican and black. And some of these themes that are within this book has been applicable to them as well. I think, um, you know, I get this question a lot. Like some people are like, well, why did you write a book called Hey Black Girl? Why not Hey Brown Girls or Hey Something Else? And while I think women all have universal problems, there are some things that regardless of what color you are, we're going to go through some of the same things. But there are some problems that are unique to black girls. And a lot of times they get overshadowed because sometimes we just try to you know, put everybody in the same category. I believe truly embracing diversity is understanding people's differences, recognizing them and acknowledging them and allowing people to just be. So really the target audience for this book is for anyone who identifies as African-American or black and identifies with the problems of the book. But ultimately, I think the message, you know, there are some messages within the book that are applicable to everyone. It's just all how you take it. So when you were younger and you felt like your skin wasn't pretty enough or just how you felt when you were younger, who was like your role model or who did you look up to, if any? Mm. Wow. So when I was younger, it was really hard to identify certain role models. Like, honestly, I really didn't start to look to have role models until I was a little bit like a little bit older. So when I was in college, I started to look at people. So um, one of my biggest role models, I would say, in college was my college professor, uh, Dr. Tanya Mora. She's someone who taught me how to use my voice. She was my communications professor. And um, 
I remember when we were in school, we had a huge protest and it, it was a role that I had to play. And I was so scared to speak in front of people. I was scared to talk about my experiences at school. And, you know, and she encouraged me to, you know, to always use my voice and to never be afraid. Um, she was definitely one of my role models because I don't think role models are exclusive to just celebrities and people we see on TV. Like, I think sometimes the biggest influences are people who are right next to you. Um, just in terms of who I look up to now, I would definitely say um, Michelle Obama is a huge role model to me. She's someone that I looks up to, um, you know, like just watching her documentary, reading her book. You know, she's someone who has a lot of class and elegance, but at the same time, she's still Michelle. She's still herself. I think anyone who exudes that confidence of just leaning into who they are is someone that I look up to. Right. Okay. So what would you say to someone that dislikes their skin color at this time? Because it's become, it's always been difficult for black women. So during this time and everything that's going on with the black community and the black society, what would you say to a person that dislikes their skin color? Well, I think the first thing that I would want to ask is why? Think about why you don't like your skin color. Do you not like your skin color because it's something that you truly dislike or is it something that someone told you? Nine times out of 10, um, when someone has that dislike, it's typically because of something that society has told them, that society has told you you're too light or you're too dark or dark skinned people do this or light skinned people do that. I would encourage people to think about just understanding that you are made wonderfully. God made you in a specific way. And I think it's important to embrace the way that God has created you. Like, you know, you look the way that you look for a reason. And the best thing about it is unless you have a twin, no one else looks like you. You know, you have your own distinct look. You know, in marketing, we say you have your own brand, but, you know, you have your own true essence. And I think it's important for you know, just again, and I think that's where representation matters. You know, if you see other people who look like you in certain spaces, it makes you more comfortable. Um, I know I have, I've had friends who have had daughters who were dark skinned, but you know, when they see people like Lupita, you know, they get excited because they have skin like them. So I think it's very important just to, you know, understand the why behind why you dislike your skin, make sure it's not something that's externally motivated, and then try to look for other people who exude that beauty because there are beautiful women of all shades. I got so caught up in the good conversation, I forgot all about commercial break. Anyway, guys, we'll be back after the break. Hey, Black girl. No matter who you are, whether big or small, you are more than enough and can have it all. The world may say, you're too this or you're too that. Put those cakes away, you're too big to have a snack. Give it to her, she needs meat on her bones. Put some clothes on, girl, your body is too grown. Add some heat to your hair, it's way too kinky. Make it long and straight and then you'll be pretty. Shh, be quiet, you're way too loud. Stay in the box we put you in and don't make a sound. Hey, black girl, wanna change that chocolate skin? Ready to change everything? on the outside so you forget who you are within forget those dreams of becoming something because the way the world is set up your life means nothing hey black girl did I say too much I thought you were built to steal superwoman and can't be touched hey world shush shh I am more than enough 
My body is fine the way that it is, whether I'm big, skinny, or thick. I don't look to you to be beautiful because my confidence is a bliss. I love every kink, coil, and curl in my hair. I wear it like a crown because my style is rare. I will never be quiet because what I say matters. I will be seen and heard, nonetheless, or the latter. Hey world, my skin is so rich, it makes me feel wealthy. I would never change a thing about myself. I was born to be the best me. My dreams are on a pavement, a black girl in motion. My life matters, no matter your emotion. Hey black girls, no matter who you are, whether big or small, you are more than enough and can absolutely have it all. And we're back. So <laughs> after the commercial break, well, before the commercial break, we were talking about how girls didn't like their skin color and what she would specifically say to them and ask them questions on why they wouldn't like their skin color. And yeah, basically that's it. And she gave some pointers on how, well, why she felt that way on why other people didn't like their skin color. But Heaven, you had a really good question. Would you like to ask it? Yes, I would. So how long, how, <laughs> how long did it take you to grow to love yourself? And how long did it take? Oh, it's still a process. <laughs> I just turned 30 last month on January 6th. And I can honestly say on my 30th birthday was the first time where I felt complete, where I felt like, uh, you know, I love the person that I see. I love my insides. I love the person who I am. And it took a while. Like, and I think that's one of the things that we have to realize, like loving yourself is not something that you just wake up one day and it's that way permanently forever. Like it's literally an ongoing process because you're going to have experiences and different obstacles in life that challenge how you feel about yourself. And it's really just about the bounce back. How do you recover from those things and to make sure that you come out a stronger person? Um, you know, we're, I've come to the reality that, that we're not always going to like ourselves. That's okay. But you never want to stay in that place. And you have to be rooted and dedicated to find the things that make you you and that make you always fall in love with yourself. Hi, this Hi. is Amira. I got a question. Yes, ma'am. How does this book help me? How does this book help you? Yes. This book will help you by understanding that you are beautifully and wonderfully made. It will help you understand that there are other little girls who are like you who may have some of the same problems and know that you are not alone and you're not by yourself. This book will help you with your confidence and let you know that you are enough, that you can have it all, that you have a voice and your voice is an instrument. Your voice is one of your biggest superpowers. So don't allow people to put you in a box. This book is really just a reminder to you that you are special and to never allow anyone to change who you are. Thank you. You're welcome. With that being said, do you feel like black women or girls are unappreciated within society? Absolutely. Um, I, I think for a number of years, black women were slept on. 
I feel like now we are starting to get more recognition. And, and this is just me and my perspective as an adult. Now I see black women getting more recognition, um, seeing more highlights. But, you know, I still think that there's some work to do. Um, there's still work in society to really appreciate the fullness of what black women bring to the table. Black women have been behind the scenes of many movements, many causes, and, you know, and really have been the backbone and the foundation of a lot of things that have happened in America and across the world. So I think it's really important, you know, just to think about black women's contributions. And as a black woman, I think it's important for us to uplift other black women. Um, you know, I think it's good for us to uplift all women, but specifically if I see a black woman and if I know that she's trying to do something, I'm going to try to put her on. I'm going to try to make sure that, you know, she has what it is that she needs to be successful. I think if we have that ecosystem and that mindset of, you know, helping each other win and choosing collaboration over competition, then we can ultimately win and be more visible in the things that we do. Definitely. So I feel like during society right now, it is important to uplift the Black community as well as a Black girl because it's hard right now. So on TikTok, I see people saying light skins, dark skins, brown skins, and not typically saying Black girls. So, and we're all in the same category. So it's just, <laughs> what is, it's just crazy to me. So do you think colorism is being normalized and how do you feel about it? Um, I think colorism has always been just an issue in the black community. And it's sad because I think other people see that issue and they and they know that it's something that's deep rooted and it's something that is consistently used against us. I think colorism is a mechanism to keep African Americans and black people separated. It's to cause friction because if you are, you know, mad at someone for being lighter than you or darker than you, then you know, it negates the fact of unity. I think colorism is something that you know, it's something that people can easily overcome. And I, I go back to affirmations, right? You know, we talked about learning to affirm yourself. So, you know, those ideas about colorism, I think it starts in the home. You know, I think it starts with parents telling their kids that, you know, their brown is beautiful or they look good or, you know, like, and just affirming who they are and in their skin color. I think that's something that's going to be so important and so key. And I think, once people understand the root of that light skin and dark skin and understand that it's very deep rooted, you know, it's something that derives from slavery to keep people separated. And, you know, I think it will ultimately help them understand how not to be a part of that. Um, I think sometimes people subconsciously say things or do things and they don't even know the root or the meaning of why they're doing it. So I think it's very important for us to do the work and to know our history. Um, you know, it's Black History Month right now, but I really encourage people to use this opportunity to really go back and understand the roots of colorism and then understand what role are you playing? You know, what are the things that you're doing to, you know, to control? to the conversation or, you know, things that you're doing to amplify those things that come out of colorism. And with that colorism aspect, I was watching like a YouTube video and I really, I'm not trying to like name drop, but I really like them. So I want people to like watch them. Like I watch Abba and Preach and mm -hmm. they were talking about how biracial, well, they were watching a video on how biracial couples 
and how the black man felt betrayed because the black woman was dating a white man. Mm -hmm. But then when the black man was dating a white girl, he didn't feel some type of way about him dating a different race. Now, I don't have a problem with anybody dating who they want to date because I don't really, that's your thing, you do what you do. But my question is why, or would you feel some type of way if you were asked that question and somebody else wasn't asked that question while you're in the same room and you have the same type of relationship with somebody? Like, yeah, you know, I think it's a very interesting dynamic um, because now we're kind of, you know, transitioning to dating. Um, Interracial dating is something that is relatively new. Um, Like if you look back at the history of interracial dating, like I think it's, you know, people were technically only allowed to date um, maybe 50 or 60 years ago. And I think when it comes to that, it's such a touchy topic because when it comes to black men and women of other ethnicities, you know, people don't really say too much, but when black women are, um, when they're with someone who is not a black man, they get a lot of slack for it. And I've always heard the logic of a black woman not being with a black man is because, you know, maybe there's not enough options or, you know, maybe guys are not responding to them in a certain way. But I do think it's offensive to say that it's okay for one person to do something and the other person cannot do the same thing. I think everyone should have the opportunity to date who they choose and who they please. And, um, I think we have to respect the choices that people want to make when it comes to their dating life. I think the problem is with black women, I think sometimes we're seen, I'm not going to say we're seen as property, but you know, people almost feel like, you know, it's a betrayal to date someone else. And I, I don't think it's a betrayal at all. Like, you know, you date who it is that you want to date. And I don't think there should be a double standard. I didn't mean to go to the dating standpoint. I'm sorry. I was just thinking about it because we were talking about colorism. And then I was like, I watched a video just a day ago about how the interracial thing goes. And I felt like it just tied together. But no, that makes sense, though. I mean, I definitely see where you got it. (laughs) So do you feel that black women's and girls hair is a big part of our culture? Like it holds a huge part in our community? Yes, I do. I think hair is a big part of our identity because Black women have the opportunity to have multi-dimensional hairstyles, right? I could wear my hair like this today. I could wear my hair straight tomorrow. I could get a mohawk. I can cut it off. I can get braids. Like literally the opportunities are limitless when it comes to our hair. The problem is, um, you know, as you go through each generation, I feel like every generation has different issues. Like when I was growing up, when I was a kid in the nineties, everybody wanted a perm, right? Like everybody wanted a relaxer. And, you know, I couldn't wait till I was in the sixth grade to get a relaxer. Um, Now I see young girls, you know, I see some of them who still want relaxers, but now the new things is, you know, is weaves, right? You know, weaves, lace fronts, you know, that's becoming a, a big thing that young girls are wanting. So I think hair is really important. I think it's good for black girls and women to embrace all hairstyles, but I do think it's important for them to love their natural hair. We've been taught that our natural hair is too coily, is too kinky, is too curly, but um, I think our natural hair is really one of the things that define us. There's a there's a TED talk that I would love for you guys to watch. Her name is uh, Caroline Bennett, 
She is a TEDx speaker and she has a TED talk where she talks about hair and she really shows how like there's a parallel between black women's struggle and their hair. So I definitely think that's a great piece to kind of, you know, mellow out the analogy. But ultimately, I think hair is a big part of our culture. And, you know, regardless of whatever hairstyle you get, I just think it's most important for you to love your own natural hair first. On that, I knew it was always like a problem for me to like my hair. I'm right now I'm bald. I'm sorry. I have to give them a visual, but I don't have any hair on my head. <laughs> I'm just I'm, I have a buzz cut. So when I was little, I had semi long hair. I was like three years old and it was down in my back and I had a relaxer in. So I went to go get another relaxer on my hair fell out. And then I just had an afro. I just stopped getting relaxers. For the longest time, I did not like my afro at all. It was just coarse, brittle, dry, and everything. But now that my hair is gone, because I feel like it was just because I didn't like hair. But I like my long hair, you know? It's just, it's weird. It's different. I was young. I didn't like it because it wasn't long. It wasn't down my back and everything. I didn't have a relaxer. And now I'm just like, okay, shave it off. <laughs> I go to the barber all the time. And I think everyone goes through those stages. Like, I went through that, too, when I was a little girl. I'm like, you know, you know, I want long, silky hair. I want my hair to flow. And then when I got to college, like, I cut my hair. Like, I've cut my hair multiple times throughout my life um, because I've gotten comfortable. I've worn my hair natural. Like, I think, you know, depending on where you are in your life, you know, I think your hairstyle speaks to where you are. Um, for me, it was always a confidence thing. Like, when I cut my hair short, like that, those were some of the most confident times of my life because I used to think like, oh, you know, short hair, I, I'll look ugly if I have short hair. And, you know, and that's one of the times where I felt most beautiful and free because I was able to do it. It was almost liberating to cut my hair. So um, I think, you know, really every phase of your life and the hairstyles that correlate really just respond to however you're feeling about yourself. And with that being said, we're going to go on another commercial break and we'll be right back. Bossed Up Lead Hers Incorporated is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation with a mission to eliminate stereotypes amongst women and girls in the workplace, schools, and communities, while providing a sanctuary to produce intentional growth, success, and significance. Generate essential resources to elevate women and girls to an entrepreneurial mindset and executive leadership. Our amazing team of regulars and part-time volunteers are committed to helping others. We take our convictions and turn them into action. Think you would be a good fit? Get in touch for more information. If you wish to find out more or donate to help with our cause, go to bossdupleethers.org. And we're back. So we were on the top of a pair the last time we were here. And did anybody else have anything to say about <laughs> So... The next topic that I want to talk about, it's like, I don't know how to say it because a lot of people don't like their lower half because surgery has been like heavy in our childhood with Minaj, Cardi B, Beyonce, like their body types have been like reflecting from us ever since we were like 12 years old. So with that being said, what would you say to a young kid thinking about surgery just because their quote unquote role model has that perfect body that they've always wanted. I would say that everything isn't what it appears to be. Um, 
I'll share with you guys one. So the reason I, I told you a little bit earlier about the blog that I started, the Skinny Black Girls Code. The reason I started is because one day I told my dad that, you know, I wanted to be thick and skinny girls have a problem. He's like, Whitney, skinny girls don't have any problems. And I'm like, yes, yes, they do. So the whole purpose of me starting it was to, to kind of show some of those problems. And one of the things that I felt and experienced, you know, when I was growing up, I lived in the BET era. That's when, you know, girls had to have a Coke bottle figure. They had, you know, the nice butt, nice breasts, you know, like it was just something that, you know, when you're young and you see it, you're like, oh my gosh, like, why don't I have that? Like, or why? haven't I developed like that? There were other girls that I went to school with, you know, who had developed, but you know, I was always really skinny, like always a skinny black girl. So, you know, when I was younger, like I remember purposely like eating terrible, like I would eat cornbread because allegedly cornbread was supposed to make your butt bigger. Um, you know, I would eat all types of different things to try to gain weight because like I desired to have a certain body type. And it was so, you know, it was scary because you know, I didn't embrace who I, who I was at the time. Like I thought bigger was better. That was always my mentality. But it wasn't until, you know, when I was doing those things, I started to get sick. I mean, like when you're starting to eat junk food and doing all that stuff repeatedly, it makes you sick. It was almost like a reverse eating disorder. Some people starved themselves to get smaller. I tried to overeat to get bigger. So, you know, I would encourage th those young girls that, you know, your body type is fine the way that it is. You know, most of the time, um, you haven't even grown into your full body type, right? Um, you know, especially like when you're young, you're a teenager, like you're still growing, you're still developing. What you see at 13 is not going to be the same thing that you see at 30. So you have to be patient to really understand, you know, you know, how you're going to look and who you're going to be in the future. You know, all those things are superficial. Um, and, and really, when I look back at my intentions, you know, of why I wanted to look a certain way, it really boiled down to wanting validation and attention from other people. A lot of times I feel like when people get surgeries and when they, you know, try to alter their appearance in a certain way, they're looking for a specific type of validation um, you know, when it as it relates to their body. So I think it's very important to learn how to self-validate, to understand that everything that glitters isn't gold. And um, a few years ago in Dayton, Ohio, we had a workshop. It was a boot camp called the Cutie Boot Camp by Chandy Ray. And we talked to the girls about the effects of having plastic surgery. Like if you get plastic surgery, like that's something that's super expensive that you have to keep up. Um, you know, if there's something that goes wrong within the surgery, it could potentially be fatal. You know, it's something that you could die from, something that could, you know, potentially cause other serious conditions. So people have to really think of the ramifications before they start to want some of those things. And then you also have to remember everything in the media is supposed to attract you. It's supposed to excite you, but it doesn't have to be you. I feel like that's really good advice because a lot of the times people look at it and they're like, oh, I want to be that. Oh, I want to be this. And like they get upset and start looking at themselves and honestly develop eating disorders, like you say, going off of that. And I feel like once they don't get the body that they wanted after all they did, especially the diets, like the workout routines, the diets that people go on, the smoothie detoxes and the body doesn't end up like they want it to it just makes them even more sad and upset it does you know i had a cousin who um was addicted to diet pills you know it led to serious conditions and she died at a really early age she died like in her 40s and you know she died from a different um condition but it all started with her taking diet pills 
So, you know, it, it's really a, a serious condition in terms of, you know, trying to get an ideal body type. Like there is no ideal body type. What you have is what you have. And you have to learn how to, to lean into that. Um, and it's hard, you know, like when you're young, like you don't want to hear that. You're like, I want what I want. But at the end of the day, like you'll be so much happier with what you have. Like I have friends now, like my friends, I have friends who have, you know, they wear bras that are like F's and G's and, you know, all these things that I don't have right now. And, you know, and they'll complain to me about, you know, back pains and things. And I'm and when I was younger, I'm like, man, I used to want all of those things. And now when I hear my friends talking about it and going through getting breast reductions and things like I, it made me relieved that, hey, you know, I'm happy that I am the way that I am, like because everything that glitters is not always gold. And then for those who have that type and, you know, who love their bodies, like that's fine, too. Like, I think, you know, society is built to show us that you know, we, we think that one thing is better than the other, but everyone has problems, whether you're big, skinny or thick, we all have some sort of problem. And I think the more that we realize that, you know, we're all chasing this, you know, fake ideal body type that's out there, the more that we can start to get back to ourselves. And this is one thing that I have to work on a lot. Do you feel like you can't uplift others before you uplift yourself? Like, you can't go around saying, oh, you're so pretty, and then go home and be like, I don't like myself. I have to change this, that, and third. Well, I think it's, so, it's easier to fill other people's cup, right? Like, I think it's very easy to... It's, it's so funny. We see things in other people that we don't see in ourselves, right? You know, I could look at another girl and be like, oh, my gosh, you're absolutely gorgeous. But when she goes home, she thinks that, you know, she's hideous. And I think it's very important to learn how to affirm yourself, not to say that you can't give other people compliments and you can't build and uplift people because you can. And sometimes in those moments of up uplifting others, you can really find yourself. There's been a lot of periods in my life where I didn't feel sure or comfortable or confident in myself. But if I'm talking to my clients or if I'm talking to any of my friends or just anyone in general, you would never tell that because I try to pour into them. And I think um, you don't have to necessarily always try to affirm yourself. I don't think it makes you a hypocrite if you don't feel good about yourself but still affirm other people. Because, again, it's a process. You'll get there. And it might take for someone else to help you get there. You know, it might take for someone else to give you those compliments and say certain things to you. That's why I think um, it's very important for us to watch our words. Our words have so much power, not just for ourselves, but for other people, you know. When I was a kid, you know, people would say certain things to me that I still remember until this day. It's things that I've healed from, but ultimately, you know, it's things that still stick. So you have to be very mindful of the power of your words and to make sure that you're speaking life into someone and not negativity. Thank you, because I I have, I have a really good problem with that. And it's like a lot of people say you can't, do one thing and then do the opposite behind closed doors to yourself like no you do what you want it's every everyone has their own process <laughs> i can't stress that enough like self-love confidence like it's an up and down thing right sometimes you're up sometimes you're down and just because you're down it doesn't bar you from saying kind words to someone else so i don't ever want you to feel like you can't compliment someone because you don't feel good about yourself because at the end of the day the words that you have could be life-changing to someone else and just like someone else could be saying something to you and going through the same thing like we should never limit ourselves in terms of affirming other people especially when we know that they need it right i feel like that's a great point 
So do you feel that black girls are always associated with the word ghetto or ratchet? Um, I feel like in the 90s, yeah, that that was like the 90s, early 2000s, like that was a big thing because, you know, when, when reality TV started popping and, you know, everyone started to pop up with these reality shows, I think that was a big thing because they didn't really show the positive side of black women. Now, um, what I love, love, love about this industry, about social media is that we have the ability to project our own images. You know, if you go on YouTube and if you type in black girls, like there's so many different positive things that are available for people to watch. Um, mainstream media really pumped a um, an image, a negative image of black women that, you know, people have stamped in their mind. But ultimately, you know, if you're looking for the positive things, they are there, They're, they are available. And I feel like, you know, with things like, you know, Kamala Harris becoming the first, you know, vice president, um, and, you know, and just some of the other women, like we just had another woman, a black female CEO, I believe of Walgreens, you know, with things like that positive media, I think we're starting to see a shift in the trajectory of how people are looking at black women. And I would just encourage young black women and girls. And I do a workshop um, at my high school where I tell them, like, you know, what is your platform for positivity? How do you want to show yourself in the best light? Because we know that we've had negative representation in the past, it's truly up to us to decide how we want to be shown to the public. So figure out, you know, what is your message? How do you want people to see you? And then, you know, really build that platform because not only is it building your platform as a you know personal brand or as a person, but when people see you and if you're seeing positive things, you know, they're going to have a good image in their mind and they're going to know that black women are more than what they see on TV. Thank you. And with that being said, we're going to go on our last commercial break. Wrap it up for a little bit. Say our goodbyes and then it was a few more questions. We'll be back after the break. Dr. Tracy Hines Lashley is a child of God, wife, mother and grandmother. She was born and raised in Panama City, Florida, before moving to Fayetteville, North Carolina, at the age of 23. She is the lead HERZ architect trademark and supports leaders' elevation to the pinnacle, respect, leadership level, while strategizing team effectiveness and productivity. She specializes in helping women in leadership harmonize family and work life, while developing dynamic and productive teams. She is a dynamic, high-powered professional with a results-charged career in growth and leadership. Her purpose in life is to transform the lives of others by inspiring, equipping, and growing. Her mission in life is to provide leaders with the tools required to ignite an intentional growth mindset that will drive behavior to achieve actionable results of personal value. Her vision is to see women reach their full potential, remove obstacles and knowledge gaps, and lead their life versus just living their life. Find out more about Dr. Lashley at drtracylashley.info. And we're back. So while we were on break, <laughs> the thing that popped up, well, we were having a little conversation and we were talking about angry black women. So with that being said, because people always portray it as if a woman is or a black woman is being assertive about what she wants, she's somehow now an angry black woman because she wasn't getting the respect that she deserved. How do you feel about that? No, I was saying, <laughs> I was saying, I think that's a really great question. Um, the angry black woman syndrome was real. 
when it comes to young black girls, it, it starts really early, actually. Young black girls are um, disproportionate. I can't even say the word today. Disproportionately um, suspended in schools. They're disciplined. And, you know, people look at them in a certain way. I was having a conversation with a friend. Um, she's from a different culture. And she said, you know, growing up, she had to worry about looking like the good girl. And I'm like, well, growing up, I had to make sure that I didn't look like the angry girl because that's what people associated black women with, that we were always angry. So I remember just growing up, always going out of my way to make sure that I was polite, that my tone sounded a certain way, that I didn't sound overly aggressive because I didn't want people to think like, oh, I'm like those other black women that they're thinking about. I know it's like unfortunate, but you know, it was something that I had to mindfully watch myself do over time. Um, as I grew up, even going into the workspace, going into corporate America, you know, I watched it firsthand how people would respond to me. Like if I went into work a day where I wasn't smiling, they thought something was wrong. They thought, you know, my world had turned upside down and it wasn't like, you know, anything was wrong. Some days you just don't want to smile. Um, even now, as we're in this virtual environment, you know, a lot of my um, work colleagues will say, well, Whitney, turn on your camera. And sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't turn on my camera because, you know, I don't want to, you know, I know that I can make certain facial expressions. I know if I don't feel like smiling, I'm not going to smile. And, you know, I don't want that to be the focus. I want the focus to be on work. So I think it's very important um, for society to understand that all black women are not angry. Sometimes we don't always have to smile and to be okay, you know, just with personality differences. Um, it doesn't make us mean. It doesn't make us, you know, um, unapproachable. I just think that people have to look at black women in a different way and, and know that we're not always angry. With that being said, you did say something about how the media has a big effect on people. And with all the racial things and feminine stuff going on, how do you feel like, how does the media affect you the most? So I stopped watching the news maybe two years ago. Um, the news broke my heart every single time. Um, as someone who has once worked in the media and understand how it works, you know, like there's a saying, if it, if it bleeds, they'll read. And, you know, the news is always looking to get the most tragic stories or the most dramatic stories. And I get it. You know, you have to sell papers, you have to sell newspaper ads, but it shouldn't come at the expense of black people. And um, I don't know, I, it, it discourages me sometimes, um, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement, how things have been reported. Um, and this is just me just, you know, because of my background, understanding journalism. Um, sometimes I don't like how things have been reported. Um, sometimes I just feel just, I don't know, sometimes it's, it's, it's a numbness, you know, like when things happen over and over again, you feel helpless. Like, it's like, what can you do? Like, how can I change things? And I think that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book. Like, even though it's just a book, it's a small contribution, but you never know like what your words could do for someone else. And I just feel like, you know, with the Black Lives Matters movement and with the feminist movement going on, we just needed something positive for young people to look at because there's so much negativity that surrounds us. There's negativity in our timelines. There's negativity on the news. And, you know, and when things are COVID friendly and when we go places, you know, those things can be negative as well. So um, I just, you know, right now, I just feel like I'm in a place of, how do I take action? You know, there's a lot of dialogue, there's a lot of discussion, but you know, as a person, what can Whitney do to help 
progress things and not just say that they were living in history instead of changing it. So with the living in history, how do you feel like in all in everything, how do you feel black women, black girls, just black people in general, how do you feel they were being portrayed throughout the years? Were they portrayed as strong, weak, like how do you think they were being portrayed? Well, I think it's a shift. I mean, now it's it's a little different. You know, like I look at shows like How to Get Away with Murder and Scandal. Like, you know, those were shows with strong black female leads. You know, you have Viola Davis taking off her wig at home. Like you had never seen anything like that on television. And I think the shift in media is really going to be dependent on bringing in diverse staff. So that's one of the things that's going to change the trajectory of how black women or black people are seen in ho- as a whole. Um, black people are uh, grossly underrepresented in mass media. And the more we get more black producers, black directors, black actors, actresses, it can literally change how people view us. Because you have to think, you know, if you're in a room of writers and if there's no one black in the room to say hey you know this might appear to be racist or hey this might appear to be a stereotype people don't they don't consciously know and a lot of times people don't take the time to go try to figure things out so i think um media is going to change because there are more people entering the industry i think because of social media is giving exposure to content creators and companies are seeking these content creators to be a part and to do things and i think you know again this is really the best opportunity to start making that shift but i guarantee that media and the way that we're being portrayed is going to be so much different and even now like we have so many different black creators popping up with their own podcast networks you know they were doing netflix style subscription shows you know i know a, a young lady who um owned a, a, a subscription network out in atlanta so it's very important just to know that diversity matters and bringing those collective voices inside of the industry is ultimately is what's going to change how we're being portrayed Thank you, because I don't know. I feel like in the like not in the beginning, but when I was born, we were just portrayed as I don't, I don't know. Like, you wait, how old are you? I'm, I'm gonna be 18 this year. Oh my god, you're a baby! Yeah. <laughs> so when I was little, it was just like I said, Nicki Minaj, Beyonce. I was about to say Patty the Bell. I don't know where that came from. I I was born with Patty. <laughs> you said you was born with Patty. I wasn't born with Patty. I because okay, I, I wasn't born with Patty. So yeah. I wasn't born with Patty. <laughs> it popped up in my head. I don't know where it came from. But being born with those people, I feel like, and also um, Bad Girls Club, I feel like it portrayed black women and females as either with the perfect body shape, voluptuous and all of that, or just bad mm-hmm. Love and yeah just bad all around and i feel like it's getting better but it's kind of not going anywhere it's not going fast enough for me <laughs> yeah it's it's not it's gonna take time you know they say um things take 30 years to go through a cycle so you know i'm 30 right now so by the time i'm 60 i hope that i see some changes i mean i never thought in my lifetime i would see a black president and first lady but somehow like it happened you know 
So I think anything is possible with change. I just think that people have to keep pressing for that change and not to settle. Like, I don't know. I just feel like somewhere in the 90s, like people just started settling. And I don't I don't know why. Like it just it just feels like everything was stagnant because like growing up, like I never remember things like how they are now. Like I don't remember people protesting and things like Black Lives Matter. Like, you know, everything was just still. But now things are not. And I feel like that momentum has to continue in order for things to truly change. For me personally, when I grew up, I grew up around mostly white people. So. I didn't really care about, you know, Black Girls Club, all these reality TVs. I was more of, how can I fit in with the people I'm surrounded with? So as a Black mm. girl, that was my view. I didn't really consider myself as a Black girl. I just was a person trying to be like everybody else. So what can you so, say about that? Oh, wow. That, I mean, sorry, sorry, I had a question. And I have to remember that I'm being interviewed and I'm not the interviewer. <laughs> no, you, you can ask the question. It's OK. No. So, so when did you really start to come into your identity as a young black girl? Well, first I was modeling and that's when I moved to Georgia and that was in Atlanta. So I'm like, oh my goodness, I never seen this many black people in one area, first of all. And then I went to public school here and that's when I was around so many black people. Like I only saw one white person. So then I was like, okay, how do I be them? Like my whole life was trying to fit with a crowd and not really trying to be who I was. Mm. So, and and ask me your original question again. How do you feel about a girl who don't really know what she is? She's just trying to fit in, but she don't know how to quite fit in yet. Wow. I think that's a great question. Um, I think it's not really about fitting in. I think we try so hard to try to fit in with other people. And I think that's the problem. Um, fitting in and blending in with other people, it literally takes you away from the things that make you who you are. Like when I was younger, I went to all black schools my whole life, elementary through high school. Um, and you know, and when I was in school, I lived a very urban life, but at home it was so different. Like my mom made us read books. Like you would never know. Like I watched movies from the 1950s. I knew who, you know, Fred Astaire, Marilyn Monroe, Judy Garland, like I know all of these old, you know, 1950s black and white movie stars. Um, you know, I listened to pop music. The first concert I ever went to wasn't an R&B or a hip hop concert. I went to an NSYNC concert. And those were the things that uniquely made me me. Yeah, I was a black girl. You know, I, I did some of the things that other girls did, but I had my own identity. And I think instead of trying to figure out how to fit in with people, you have to lean into what makes you you because I said this in my podcast, when you are being authentic, when you're learning how to be yourself, you're going to attract your tribe. You're going to attract the people who are for you, because at the end of the day, if you're being someone that you're not, chances are the people who are around you are not really the people that you want to be around. So you want to be yourself so you can make room for the people who truly matter in your life. And with that being said, I think we closed on a great foot, not good, but a great foot. <laughs> Okay, um, but oh, did you want to give any advice to all the black women and girls? And, and how can we get your book? Oh my God. <laughs> well, I just want to say, um, you know, I keep repeating it because it's in my book, but I say this to myself every day now. You are more than enough and can absolutely have it all. Like, I don't say that as a cliche. Like, I truly mean that you can have everything. And for the young girls, you know, there's so many problems that you might have. Right now, you know, when you're five, you're 10, 18, 30. It's funny because 
you know, when I look back at my life, the problems that I had 10 years ago aren't problems anymore. So, you know, don't look too deeply into things that are happening in the moment. Learn how to enjoy your life. Learn how to enjoy being yourself. And again, you know, just lean into authentically who you are. Um, there's no right or wrong way to be yourself. And if you want to learn more about Hey Black Girl, um, I don't know if y'all can see the book. <laughs> We're on video too. But Hey Black Girl is available. It is $19.99 and it is at bit.ly slash gumroad. I'll send you all the link. And um, just to let you know, for the lifetime of my book, so forever, I'm always going to donate 10% of my proceeds to a charity. So um, one of my mentors, her granddaughter recently passed. She was 17 years old and she committed suicide back in December. So we're donating um, the proceeds from the book from January through March to the nonprofit of their choice in honor of her name. So if you're listening to this broadcast during that time, that's where we'll go. Otherwise, anytime after that, it will go to another nonprofit that deals with empowering young black girls, whether that be through mental health or to raising their self-esteem and awareness. Well, great, because you're talking to one of them right now. <laughs> Boss Up Leader is a 501c3 nonprofit. So go ahead. Mira wants to tell you something. Your book is nice. Thank you. <laughs> you going to tell all your friends about it? Who are some of the friends you're going to tell about it? What are their names? Lauren and Mike. Okay. Well, I have enjoyed the conversation. It was really, really nice, which I knew it would be. Thank so, you. yes. So you will um, air. Oh, the girls are on Pandora. Oh, we're on Pandora. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you will hear your show at noon on Pandora Saturday. Hey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we will close out the show 